Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. We're starting a new sermon series today called A-OK. I'd love to be able to tell you this sermon series came from the inspiration of being in my prayer closet and fasting and reading through Leviticus and like, you know, just getting super serious about God and it came in this time and, you know, God, and that's, sometimes that happens. Uh, That's not how this sermon series came to pass. Let me just kind of make sure we're on the right level. So I was at a Phillies game um, this, this summer and I'm not a huge Phillies fan anymore. I'm not, I'm like, I love the Eagles. Uh, I'm actually mad. I saw a lot of people wearing cowboy stuff here today. Makes me sick. And so, uh, makes me sick. And so, uh, I love the Eagles. I'm a, I, I'm a fan. Like, I, I, I'm a real fan. Like, I lo- I've loved them for a long time. And so, Philly fan, I'm like, it, I'll watch them. I won't. I love going to their games. But I'm not like that. I, don't, I won't watch it at home. So, I'm not even going to go there. Like, I'm not that kind of fan. And so, but I went to a Phillies game, and it was awesome. And uh, it, they, have, they have those walkout songs when, you, when you're going to hit. They have their walkout songs. And uh, their second baseman, who I have a hard time even pronouncing his name. It should be easy. What, you guys know his name? Okay, stop. And so uh, I just want to make sure you knew it. And so to help me not look like a fool. And so uh, he, his song is, his song is A-OK. You guys know that song? And uh, every time his song, so everybody else has songs they play. Everybody's kind of there, but not really paying attention. And his song comes, comes on, the loudspeaker, the A-OK song. And literally the entire stadium sings it. You guys know the song? I knew you would, right? First service, they're Christians. They didn't know the song. And so... I knew by the third service, you, probably, you guys probably got to memorize, right? And so, you know how it starts? Living in this. Wow. You guys aren't Phillies fans, right? Right? With my what? My head. Is it head? And where? Right? What's the next line? What is it? Come on. You got to say it louder. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, the next, the next line, I like the next line where he's like, when I see trouble come my way, I'll be, no, you guys are, I'll be making lemonade. Wow. Totally disappointed in this service, right? You ate too many donuts on your way in. You guys, you guys got a donut hangover. And so, right? And uh, I just found out this song, actually, the guy, this, this is not an advertisement for this song. I didn't know all the words. There's some curse words in it. Don't let your kids go home and listen to it and blame me, right? And so, uh, but I actually found out right between services, the guy, a, a guy stopped me. He's like, hey, do you know where that song was written? And I was like, no, I have no idea. And so he was like, it was written in a closet uh, during COVID. The guy was, I guess he was maybe having a moment and he just was writing this song as a song of like, hey, I'm going to be okay. Uh, it's going to be okay. And I, I, I love it and I, I, I connected with it because ultimately I think hope is a really important part of your life. I think that's why so many people, like, you can't really get Philadelphia people to ever smile. And everybody just, it's an anthem of hope. Hope is super important to the life of a a human being. People that have have high levels of hope are often uh, more healthier. Their relationships are better. They've done studies on this. They're more resilient. Uh, When they face a disease or a bad doctor's report, when they have hope, Oftentimes their bodies respond better to the, to the treatment and to, the, to the, maybe fight more. Like hope has a profound effect on people. It also has a profound effect when you don't have it. They did a study on the power of hope uh, years ago on, on, on mice. Like they did this, this, this study on, on mice. And I, if you're a, you know, a, a, an, an animal person, probably you do earmuffs for a second. And so, uh, so I got these mice. These aren't real. But I did scare Leah earlier with one. And so... In case you were wondering, I put it on her desk. She freaked out. It was awesome. And so uh, I hate mice. Anybody else? Like, I, I think they're from Satan. Like, I just, we get them in our house. They're just, they just, they're just crazy. And so um, mice. So they took these mice and they uh, did this experiment on them. I've, I've told you this experiment before, but I thought I would one-up it by actually having mice in my hands. And so, uh, but they took the first, the first mouse and uh, they, they had a, a pot of water. And they uh, put the mouse in the pot of water uh, low enough to where it couldn't get to the top, right? And so deep enough that it could drown. Put the, the mouse in the water, 
and they timed how long the mouse would swim before it would, it would drown. And so the mouse was looking all around for an exit, could find no exit, and uh, they timed it. And the mouse, you know, swam for as long as it could, ran out of energy fast, uh, realized nobody was coming to help it, gave up, and, and the mouse drowned. And so, uh, like I said, if you're an um, uh, animal person, you probably don't want to listen to this. And so they took another mouse, uh, same pot, same pot, same water, all that stuff, and they put the mouse in the water, let the mouse start to swim around. And very early on in the experiment, um, the person conducting it reached his hand in and uh, pulled the mouse out and gave the mouse a chance to breathe. The mouse got his, got his composure, his energy back, and they put the mouse back in and uh, they timed it. And the mouse, uh, that next time, swam way past the first mouse ever swam because in his mind, in their mind, they, they, they realized and they thought, if I keep swimming, and there's not a way out, but if I swim long enough, maybe that hand will come back and save me. They did it again a couple times, pulled the mouse back out, gave it a breath, and it went on for hours, right? This mouse didn't give up because it had what? That hope. Hope has a profound impact in, in your lives. Years ago, there was this, there was this, uh, this story that happened. This, this millionaire named Lu, Lu, Eugene Land, uh, he, he, he was given the task of speaking to a, a bunch of sixth grade kids from Harlem. And so and these kids, they came from the, the inner city, they, they, you know, not, not a lot of opportunity to succeed. Most of them uh, statistically would drop out of school long before they graduated. So here comes this very successful businessman. He's like, I don't really know what to say to these kids. My life is different. I have millions of dollars. What am I going to say to these, these young kids to encourage them in the midst of this really difficult situation that they're in? So he thought about it. He wrote a couple speeches. He, he got rid of them. They didn't make sense. And he finally came up with an idea. And so he gets to the classroom. This is a true story. He looks at these, these 56, I think there was 56 sixth grade kids there all different nationalities, you know, most of them are going to drop out of school. And he looks at them and he says, your life is tough. And I know a lot of you um, statistically are not going to make it. I, he started low with this conversation. And he says, he says, here's my deal. I have, I've been blessed. I have finances. I have money. If you stay in school and you graduate, I'll pay for your college. Some of you office fans, you're like, didn't I see that somewhere before? And so it's a true story. You know what happened to those kids? 90%, 9 out of 10 of those, those students graduated from, college, uh, from, from high school. Hope has the ability to change our life. I, I think our world needs a little hope. Anybody else? I think the church are supposed to be the agents of real hope. Here's what I'm not telling you when I say it's going to be okay. I'm not going, hey, every, I hope everything's going to be okay. Hey, you got cancer. It's going to be fine. I'm not going to run around and, hey, it's going to be fine. Get you hyped up. Yeah, it's fine. You're going to be fine, right? What I want to do is I want to biblically get you centered on the understanding of real hope. Hope is not, uh, I hope so. Uh, I'm going to be okay. I hope so. Hope, biblical hope is I hope because God said so. I hope because God said so. I want to take you back into the Sermon on the Mount. Last week I said we're done with the Sermon on the Mount, and I lied. We're going right back to it. But this is the last week because this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus, you, he, he, he ends his sermon with one of the most notable passages of, of, of Scripture. If you grew up in Sunday school, you sang a song. I sang a song to this passage. Like it was, it, it was it is a, a significant end to his sermon. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You, you, you listen to what I say, you, you build your house on the rock. Here's what he says. He says, the rain comes, the streams rose, the winds blow and beat against the house, yet it doesn't fall because it has a foundation on the rock. He doesn't say life's going to be easy. He says life's going to be hard. You're going to have storms. You're going to have moments where you don't have all the answers. You're going to have things you face. But here's, I promise you, if you build your life on me, on my word, you're going to be Okay. On, on the flip side, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man and build his house on sand. You ever build something on sand? As soon as the rain comes, the streams rise, the, the winds blow and beat against the house, it falls with a great crash. You, you've seen this. You build your house on sand and when you face difficulty, it comes crashing down. So I love the visual image of this, of this, this series. Now, I think I'm a creative person. 
And so I give our creative department what I'm thinking from my brain uh, for what I want the series to look like, and they didn't do any of that for this one. And so <laughs> they just did what they wanted, right? And so, which I love. Like, I, I, I'm not creative. That's why they get paid. And so, so I gave them this, and then they brought this idea back, and, it's, and, and the idea was in the midst of a storm, uh, the, the balloons, you can see the balloons. They're actually, this is the first service they're actually working. And so, uh, right, the balloons, and you see the visual, there's, there's rain and there's, there's, there's wind possibly and storms, but in the middle of your storm, you can still have a party. That's why they get paid for the creative part, right? And so, like in the middle of it, you're still gonna be, okay, hope. In fact, there's this prayer in Romans chapter, chapter number um, 15 where Paul, Paul prays this, and I, this is my prayer for this church because I think our world needs hope. I think our world needs hope. Hope, hope should come from inside the church to the world. The Bible says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. God is hope. May the God of hope fill you with peace and with joy. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you need this. You need a little joy. You're, you're, you look ridiculous right now. Go ahead, tell them. Smile. And look to your other neighbor who you drove with, right? The person you drove with today and say, you need part number two. You need a little peace. You're crazy, man. Some of you talking a little too long there, right? This is a safe spot. It's not that safe for you, right? May the God of hope fill you with peace and with joy so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. So here's what's going to happen. He's going to give you peace and joy because of his hope, and that peace is going to overflow to a world that needs hope. And so I called this message. This is a foundational message, no pun intended, on Matthew chapter 7, and I want to teach you a little bit. Now, I'm an, admittedly, I'm a, I'm a screamer. I'm not a teacher. You know what I'm talking about? If you come to church here, I like to yell and be crazy, but, but sometimes, sometimes, listen, if all I do is yell, you're going to be okay, and I don't give you any scripture underneath it, then that's just a fool on a stage yelling at you for 30 minutes. What I want to do is I want to spend just this, this sermon specifically, and I want to teach you, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna use this to move forward, what I call the four A's of okay. I love A-OK, it means all okay, right? But I want to give you the four A's of okay. Then what we're going to do for, for every, the next four weeks, we're going to break apart and tear down and jump into Scripture. And I want to show you these different thoughts in Scripture because for you to be mature in your faith and understand who God is and his character, sometimes you need to get to know what his, what his Bible, Bible says. And so I just want to teach you a little bit about the four A's of okay. The four A's of okay. Number one is this, the four A's of okay. First one, God is, you can say it over yourself, you can say it to your neighbor, they need it, right? You can say it out loud if you want, but here, here's how I, I wrote it. First A of okay is God is my adopter. God, God is my adopter. Here's what that means. That means that God wants a relationship with me. This is profound. You ever meet somebody, some of you are this person, who struggles with the fact and the reality that they're wanted? You have nothing to prove. Like you, you, you you're, you're okay. You have, you have parents that loved you, that wanted you. When they found out they were having you, they were like, this is awesome. You ever meet somebody who hasn't been through that? Like they, they, they honestly, they were born. If you said, hey, were your parents excited to have you? No, nah, my dad actually said I should have been a girl. Like, my, my dad wasn't even around. My mom was around, but she made it really clear that I was kind of annoying and in the way and uh, was not part of her plans, unwanted. Uh, abandoned. You ever meet somebody who feels abandoned? Like, you come into the world, you feel ab abandoned, which, by the way, is the op opposite of adoption. The opposite of adoption is carrying around deep-rooted feelings of abandonment. I came into this world, and nobody wanted me. This is such an important foundational truth. We need to spend a whole day on the fact that God is your adopter because if you understand it, it will change your life forever. When you understand what God has offered you. In fact, watch what scripture says in Ephesians 1. It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Here's what this means. Some, some, sometimes Christians want to really argue these big words, but here's, here's what I think this means. That just means long before you were ever thinking about God, when you were running from him, when you were acting a fool, 
fool. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you still there. When, 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 when you were messing up, when you were carrying sin, and when you were an addict, and when you were addicted to everything in this world, this world has to offer you, and you ended up in the gutter, and all these things that happen in life outside of God. Long before that, God was making a way to get back to you. He, he, he loved you before you were even ever thinking about him. The Bible says before the foundations of the world, he was predestining. He was making a way to get back to you. He is your adopter. And here's why this is so impactful. Let me just give you a few thoughts. I don't want to kill the sermon for next week, but I'm going to give you two reasons. When the Bible says you're adopted into his family, it's important. Here, here, here's the first one. When you adopted somebody in that culture, you were, and this might be obvious, you were choosing them. Now, he. In our, in our culture, when you have a baby, you get what you get, right? Are you tracking with me? Let's be really honest. Can we be really honest here? Sometimes three, four, five kids in, you're like, mm, right? You can just take this one, right? You're really messing up the feng shui of our family, right? So one acts like his mom too much. We're just going to slap, right? And so, Right? Well, in that culture, kids were a commodity. They were not a blessing. So you didn't have, like, uh, gender reveals, you know, how we do today. And so, and you didn't have showers. And you, you had kids specifically for a means to an end. So you would have kids. Uh, m- mostly you wanted men, especially if you owned a business, so that they could work. That was it. You had kids so you could put them in the family business. So if you ever study culture, Greek culture, Roman culture, there was an over-evaluation on, on healthy men and an under-evaluation on women. I mean, they, they would, if, you, if you had too many girls and you didn't want a girl, right, you had another girl like, hey, there's a girl, you literally could take the girl and go, I don't want this girl, and just let it outside of, of, the, of the town, let it die. If you had a boy that, uh, that, that comes into the world and the dad or the mom looks at him and goes, man, they look at their scrawny, man, they got some birth defects, I don't know. Like in that culture, you'd be like, I don't want that kid. Let's try again. So we live in this culture where if you, you have a kid, you, you're, you're inspecting, I don't know if I want. But adoption was different. Adoption, you would look at a kid and go, okay, okay, okay. And you would say, I'll take them. And here's what's cool. When you adopted them, you adopted them for life. So your child, you could be like, I'm done with you, right? Can you imagine that hanging over your kid's life? Talk back to me one more time. I'm taking you to the cliff. It's very real, right? In, in that culture, when you adopted somebody, you would look at them, take all their, their failures, all, all their mistakes, all their shame, all the things they've been. They didn't come from a great family. They don't have great, but you know what? I, I'm gonna take them and I'm gonna make their health and their future my responsibility. And here's what's cool about adoption. Once you adopted somebody, that was binding until they died. Do you see the spiritual implications? God sees you, sees all of your imperfections. Some of you try to hide them, he sees them knows your family history, knows your shame, knows your mistakes, knows all of the the issues that you have, looks you up and down, and by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, he says, I'll take them. The adopter is like, do you know what their history is? Do you know what they've been through? Do you know where they've they've, they've been? You know who they, I know, I'll take them. I'm going to make their life my responsibility until they die. There is such a profound effect. They did a study on the effects of uh, babies not having their need to be wanted. What, what happens? Years ago in Germany, actually so long ago, that King Frederick II was the, was the, was the king of Germany. He wanted to know, um, because babies were a commodity at that point, he wanted to know if you never coddle, love, speak to, encourage, rock, if you never speak in German to, to these babies, you never do any of that, what language will they speak? You want to know that. Like, if you don't do any of that, will they grow up speaking German? What will they do if you never get that? So he puts these babies in this room, and uh, they meet only their basic needs. They feed them. They, they change them. Um, they give them a bed to lay in. When they cry, they never come respond. They never pick them up. They never love them. They never speak to them. They don't say a word to them. They just, they just meet their needs and walk away. And after some time, they started doing research. What language are they going to speak? Anybody know what language they spoke? None. They died. Every baby that they did the experience, experiment on died. Because we were created with the need to be, to be wanted. We, 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 need, we need to know that somebody out there sees something in us. That's why so many of us struggle. 
That's why we're constantly seeking, right, in places that lead to nothing, that are empty, right? Am I good enough? Are you, do you see me? And God says, no, no, I see you. I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've been through. I know who you've done it with. I know how bad that it is, but I'll take you into my family. You go, I don't know. And God says, hey, let me, let me take you around and show you the, the seats at my table. Here's the prostitute. That's the seats reserved for them, and here's the drunk, and, here's, and I'm just being biblical with you. Ever, you ever want to be amazed? Go read Matthew chapter 1. You ever read passages in Scripture where you're like, I'm skipping this passage? Matthew chapter 1 is one of those. It's just the lineage of Jesus. You're like, this is too much. But if you ever read it and spend enough time in it, you're going, dang, man, if they can be in God's family, I'm good. You got Rahab. If you don't know who Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute, right? She helped the Israelite spies get, get, be saved. She's in God's family. Bathsheba is in God's family. You don't even, we don't have time to even talk about that right now. Like all these people are, are in God's, God's family, right? Like they're in his family tree. You're going, man, if they can be a part of it, man, God has some pretty low standards. I think I can be a part of this. And he says, I'll take you. I'll take you just as you are. I'm not going to leave you that way. By, by the way, this, he's going to change you. He's going to be all up in your business. Trust me. But he's going to take you just as you are. First A, God is my adopter. He wants me. He wants a relationship with me. Let me give you number two. The second A of being A-OK. Number two, God is my author. He, he, he's my author. This one's important. Here's why this one's important. Because if you live life long enough, there's going to be surprises. Am I right? Like, if you were to say to me, hey, describe life since 2005, I'd be like, I don't even want to talk about it. I'll have to go to a counselor. We don't have time for this. The, seriously, the amount of twists, the amount of turns, the amount of moves, the, the, the amount of hurt, the amount of loss, the amount of surprises, the amount of good things. Like, the amount of things we're like, oh, life is good sometimes, right? Like, I'm not used to that. Like, the amount of times that's happened in my life it, it, I could literally write a book. I would just be writing it out, just doing sermon after sermon. And so what I realized in my life is I serve a God who's in control. I, I serve a God who the Bible says is the author of my life. That's what it says in Scripture. In, in Acts 3, it says, you killed the author of life, but Jesus raised him from the dead. Or God raised him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus. We are witnesses of this. My, one of my favorite passages, Hebrews chapter 12 says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, which another word for pioneer is author in scripture, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God, he's my author. He knows me better than I know me. So let me just make, make, a, make a confession to you. I'm an awful reader. Anybody else? Three of you, okay. So let's just, how many books do you have currently in your possession that you started reading and you quit after a couple pages? How many? I got seven in my backpack right now. I'm getting scoliosis trying to prove that I'm educated. I probably got between six and ten unread books on my nightstand right now. I have great intentions. I'm like, every night, I'm like, you know what? Leaders are readers. I'm going to read. And then I get there. I take my, my, my remote out. I turn on Netflix. I go to Hulu or whatever it is, and I watch One Tree Hill every night, right? And so <laughs> don't judge me. That's just where I'm at right now in my life. I'm an awful reader. I'll get three or four pages in. I'll be like, this author, this is garbage. This is garbage, right? This book's stupid. You lost me here. It doesn't make sense. Who's Jack? I don't even care. Like, what's going on? Right? Could you imagine me being an awful reader, sitting down with the author, getting a chance to get coffee with him? Sitting down and him saying, how's the book? Man, your book's garbage. Why do you say that? What's going on? Well, it's just really incomplete. It's really, you know, boring. There's no point to it. Oh, well, how many pages did you get in? <laughs> Three? Well, you got to you got to read still. Did you get chapter 7 where I did that thing with the character and I switched that out, threw that, you know, that, that, that wrench in the plans there? No, I never got to. you got to keep reading. Did you get to the end? Well, can you just tell me? Can you just tell me what happens? No, you got to read through. So many of us in our lives, right, we're in chapter number 3 of our life. Like, we just started. We're just in chapter number 3. We don't understand everything that's going on. We're mad at God. And God says, would you just keep reading? Would you just turn the next page? Would you just let me be God? You ever have a problem with God being God in your life? 
He's not moving fast enough. He's not doing what you want him to do at the time you want him to do it. You're single. You've been waiting for three weeks for a boyfriend, <laughs> girlfriend. What are you doing, God? Right? You've been praying for a new job. You're in your first job, bro. I need a new job. I'm, I'm meant to be an executive. You're 23. You might be meant. I remember I was 25 years old. I'm meant to be a lead pastor. That was true. But God had to break a lot of crap in me before he entrusted me with people. Like you, one of the most beautiful things you can start to realize is you, you serve the author of life and he knows you better than you know yourself. That means this, that means God's in control. That, that means that he knows the beginning and the what? He knows the end of your life. He, he knows what needs to be placed in your life to untangle that knot of sin inside of you to make you more like Jesus. He brings people into our life for good and for bad that's actually good. He's the author of our life. He'll even place trials in your life to make you stronger and ready to face the next chapter. You know sometimes God has something great in your life in the future, but you're not ready to handle it? I can't wait to unpack this. Sometimes he has to put you through some stuff on this side so you can handle it because if he were to give you the thing he wanted you to have right now, right now, you would ruin it because you're still messed up, right? Like let's, single people, you're like, I just want a husband, right? Well, you're not wife material yet. You're, you're just not, you're like, how do you know? I'm pretty, right? Like <laughs> you are way too high maintenance. You are way too insecure. You're going to put pressure on that guy. He can barely figure out where the toilet is at, right? You're going to get mad at him because he's not fulfilling all of your needs. The only needs that you have and the problems that you have, they're not supposed to be on that guy. Who is supposed to be found? They're supposed to be found in Christ. And some of you are like, well, I need that. Okay, well, let him do what he wants to do right now. I'm so lonely. Let Jesus be all that you need right now. Okay, let me, let, me just, let me just keep going, right? And so one of you, one of you's preaching with me today. And so, <laughs> right? So I, I always tell myself in this, in this thought, there's nothing by chance in my life. N nothing, nothing by chance. Everything has a purpose. Write it down. Nothing by chance. Everything has a purpose. Number, number, number three, let me, give you, let me give you two more as we bring this in for a landing. Number three, the, second a, the third A of being A-OK -okay is God is my advocate. In other words... Not only does he know me, not only does he want me, but God is my, my support. One of my favorite scriptures says that God is an ever-present help in a time of need. So when I tell you I'm going to be okay, when I, like, okay, I'm going to be okay, I'm not just crossing my fingers. I'm saying, okay, I'm in a time of need, and scripturally the Bible says that I'm going to be okay because God is an ever-present help in a time of need. He is my advocate, which is a... Uh, a judicial uh, word. I don't, that's a big word for me to say. It's a word that you would hear in, in the court system. So I'm, I'm not a lawyer, obviously. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. But I do know a lot about lawyers because I watch suits. And so, like, <laughs> like, I know a lot about it, right? I remember a few years ago, I, I, I was, Meghan Markle married Harry, and, you know, and I'm just, people were like, oh, you know, suits, oh, she's in, okay, let's watch that. Started watching it, watched the whole, the whole thing, like, felt like I had family members in this episode. Like, when, when it was over, we cried. Like, it was like that. It was that kind of show, right? And so, uh, we, we cried, and some of you are like, you're so worldly. I'm just being real with you. And so, so we went to vacation, on vacation to Rehoboth, and my kids were playing with these, with these people, uh, people's kids in the pool, and we were kind of talking, and I was like, hey, what do you do? You exchange pleasantries, and they're from New York, and they're like, uh, we're lawyers. And I was like, I had just gotten done watching this. I'm like, I'm kind of a lawyer too. <laughs> and I, I remember I was like, I watch shoots. They're like, that's not, that's not, that's not how it is. Right? So I don't know a lot about this. But I love the term that God is our advocate. He, 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 he's there as a, as a help in a time of need. Because the advocate means a person who comes to our aid or pleads our case to a judge. You see this in the gospel, by the way. The gospel says um, that we have a high priest that goes before us, that he goes to the throne of God. So he, here's the picture. I watch suits. You have a, you have a judge, the righteous, they, 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 they maintain the law. So the Bible calls God a judge. You and I stand before a judge, and he pulls out our list of wrongs we've done. You deserve punishment. Punishment. 
Are you tracking with me? So you have a lawyer, right? Satan. And Satan's laying out everything that you've done wrong. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Did you know that? He's constantly accusing at the throne of God. You know they did that? You see what they did there? You see how much they hate you there? Don't they deserve this? He's quoting scripture to, 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 to God. I mean, lying deserves hell and cheating deserves this and adultery. Don't even get me started on adultery. Do you see them over there? And lust, and he's laying out all the laws before the righteous judge. And the judge is going, yeah, my, my hands are tied in this moment. And as he's about to throw the book at you, this isn't in the Bible, but this is how the Bible implies it. Jesus comes in. And they say, this man is guilty right here. He's done this and that and this and this and that. He deserves this and this. And Jesus says, I'll take his punishment. His debt is is paid in full. You walk away and Jesus goes where you were supposed to go. That's a powerful picture. He's your advocate, which means that he goes before you. But the other thing that he does is he comes to your aid when when you need him. Watch what the Bible says in Hebrews 4. For we don't have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I want you to think about that. And and I'm not going to ask you, but you know if you're Catholic, right? You ever been to a a mass where 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 you go up and you're watching somebody in the front and you're like, they and me are not the same. Right? This dude's talking about marriage. He's not married. What does he know? He's talking about raising kids. He don't have no kids, right? You ever, you ever come, come in, you're like, we're different. Like, you, maybe, maybe that's even, you even do that at church where you walk in, you're like, oh, man, those people on stage are super holy. And what I try to do is make sure you know that we're not from the moment that I start preaching. <laughs> I want you to know that as a pastor, we all in this together. We have kids. They're all crazy. We're all trying to figure it out. Marriage, woo, Right? Am I right? You're working through stuff all the time, work in progress. You're going through, like we're all together. It's not, okay, we're up here, we're better than you. This is what they're trying to tell us about, about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who's in heaven. In theory, he knows us. What they're saying is from his experience, he came down, the Bible says, to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, he went into the mess that we have, he conquered it, and he always gives us a way out. He is there to advocate for us through everything he's our advocate and let me just give you one more thought let me just give you one more thought i can't wait to talk about this one the fourth a of being a-okay that you need to get is god is your ally Whew, that's a good one rome roman says uh if god be for you what does it say god's for you when you've been adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. God tells you he's your author. He has the the whole story figured out. God's your advocate. You can call to him at any point in your life. And he's there. The Bible says he's closer than a brother. He's, he's, He's there. And sometimes you need to remember that God's your ally. You, he, he's, he's with you. He's fighting for you. It's a powerful, powerful reminder. I cannot wait to unpack it. God, God is your ally. I, I just kept going back. I'm a history person, so I just kept going back to World War, World War II, right? And so Germany's taken over the world, and the allies join forces. And they push back evil, change history. So there's, there's evil coming against your life. There's darkness. Your enemies surround you, the Bible says. Your foes are many. You can read Psalms and read this. Like this, the guy who wrote Psalms, a lot of the Psalms is David, and he's, he's in caves. He's, he's being hunted by the government. Like he's, he's going through stuff, and he's writing these Psalms, telling you God is my fortress. He's my rock. He's my shield. In fact, that's the scripture I was led to. Psalms, Psalms 144, I believe it. It is where he says those exact words. He says, you're my loving God and you're my fortress. You love me, you protect me. You're my stronghold, you're my deliverer, you're my shield. In whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. 
And then he has this profound, this profound, like he writes this and then he has this moment where it's like, he's, I think he's in his head and he says, he says, Lord, what are human beings that you care for them, mere mortals that you think of them? So he, he says, I'm nobody. I'm hiding in a cave right now. I'm, I'm running. I'm flawed. I'm messed up. I'm one of a billion. And God, you're one of one. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. You hung the sun, the moon, and the stars. You have this whole thing in your hands, Scripture says. And God, when I speak to you, you turn your ear and you listen to me, a mere mortal. This would be like me calling up the White House this week. Ringing through to Joe Biden's secretary, President Biden. Pick it up. Who is it? Steve Dufresne from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. I passed a journey church. Probably heard of it. I need to talk to President Biden. I know he's busy. Dealing with stuff. Running America. But I need to talk to him. I have a problem with the gas price right now. Put him through. Put me through it, right? What would they say to me? You're an idiot and you're a threat to America, right? Don't ever call back here again. Who are you, right? Yet I, a nobody, get to call to God who's everything in any situation. And he'll fight for me. He's my ally. In fact, uh, because I know that's true, I can prophetically tell you, when you know God's your ally, when you know he's your author, when he knew, you know he adopted you into his family. When you begin to understand that he is your advocate. There, there, I can tell you with all honesty and 100% truth, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Right? Like you're, it's going to be okay. I want you to, I want you to tell the person that's sitting beside you right now, I want you to, your first choice, just look at them, your first choice. Go ahead, look at them. all over the place. I'm Montgomeryville. Just listen. And just look at them. And just look at them. I don't, you don't even know what they're dealing with. Find somebody, right? Don't let somebody sit there by themselves. Just look at them and say, hey, you're going to be okay. Go ahead, tell them. Now I want you to look to your second choice. Look to the person that you didn't want to tell them, right? You saw, you're like, nah, I'm not telling them. <laughs> and I want you to look, look at them right in their eyes, right? Tell them you're going to be okay. You, you're in a really difficult moment. And you, you cannot handle it on your own. You have the person with you that owns the fight. He controls the outcome. Look, look at me gonna be okay sometimes when I'm saying it I want to cry my wife said crying's good I say it feels bad right <laughs> let me go tell this this hey, hey you're gonna be okay it's gonna be okay He's in control. That kid that's wayward right now, you brought them up in church and they've run away and you've led them to the truth and you're still not seeing the promise of scripture that bring a child up in the way of God and when they grow old, they will not depart. Hey, by the way, it didn't say when they're young, they won't depart. It's still in there. It's outside your control. It's gonna be okay. Some of you praying for your spouse right now. Oh, God, I wish they would come to church, get saved. You're praying so hard. You invited them today. You thought, today's the day. It's Eagle Sunday. Everybody loves the Eagles. They woke up. They had their Cowboys jersey on. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Every time when you pray this week, I know the Bible We'll pray and we'll say amen. But before you say amen, I just want you to remind yourself, 
I'm going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I serve the God who's in control. I serve a God that makes a way where there seems to be no way. I serve the God who has resurrection power in his bones. I have resurrection power in my life because I serve that God. I'm going to be okay. Would you stand to your feet all over our houses? Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And as I was preparing this, this, this series, I don't, I don't know why, I just feel like we need hope. Our world needs hope. Our world needs to ch- see a church that is overflowing with hope. I was preparing this, this message and uh, our office was loud on Tuesday and, or Wednesday. I don't remember what it was. And so I put my noise canceling AirPods in and I went to my iTunes and I looked up worship music. I thought that was fitting since I was getting a sermon prepared. And uh, I landed on an album that I hadn't really listened to. It's a new album by a church called Life Church. And I started filtering my way through and I actually was listening to the songs and I couldn't believe how many of the songs lined right up with this message. We serve an author of our life. Now nothing in our life happens by chance. That's what the one song, the one song is called, it is what it is. We're gonna sing it in a few weeks. And the proclamation of the song is there's no such thing as it is what it is when you're following and serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's in control. Because a lot of times it isn't what it is. It's more than what you can see. You got to walk by faith and not sight. And I don't know, the song just started resonating with me. And then in a moment like this, it's a live album. Uh, I can see in a room just like this maybe. One of the singers goes into an old hymnal. And as soon as I heard it, I knew I wanted to end the Sunday with it. So I asked Josh to, to lead us. And I just want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. It's really simple. If you don't know it, he'll lead it first. And then I want hope to arise and faith to arise in our lives as we sing this out as once a day. So Josh, would you lead us? Let's sing it now together. your neighbor needs to hear it. over this place wherever you're at whatever you're going through give it to God I trust you in this area I submit to your will in this area I'll follow you in this area I'm going to be okay God you're in control I'm going to be okay God you have it figured out I'm going to be okay maybe you're in this place and uh as we're, we're singing and uh, worshiping and preaching and 
You say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with God yet. Sometimes I feel like uh, the apostles in the book of Acts, they're kind of getting famous because their miracles are happening and you know, stuff is you know, kind of being done in the name of Jesus. And uh, they get stopped on the street and people want money from them. And uh, they say, listen, we don't have none of that. What we do have is Jesus. And that's how I feel today. Like, I, I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers to your greatest whys. I don't even know what to tell you to do next. All I can give you is Jesus today. I can lead you to the foot of the cross. I can tell you what the Bible says to do. The Bible says that when you see Jesus, you know what he's done for you. You know he died on a cross for your sins. You know that he rose in power when you start to understand the concept and the context of that message. That if you will call on him, that'll save you. That if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus, I need to put my faith, my trust, and my hope in you, that he'll meet you there. He doesn't ask you to figure it all out. He doesn't ask you to clean yourself up. He doesn't say, go back this week and do a bunch of studying and, you know, get more religious and then I'll take you. He says, I'll take you just as you are. I'm not going to leave you that way, but I'll meet you there. You know, that adoption is, is a two-fold process in our culture a lot of times, especially when it's an older person. I've seen it's beautiful. Maybe I'll show it to you next week that they have this adoption ceremony where um, the parents that want to adopt the kid will stand before the judge and say, we want to take the rightful place of, of this person's parents. We want to be responsible for them. We want to take care of them. We want to help them become who they're supposed to be. We want to give them our last name. And then the judge will look at the child and say, do you agree to this? See, being adopted into God's family is twofold. God, he says, I'll take you. I'll be responsible for you. I'll lead you and I'll guide you. But I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm going to knock at the door of your heart. I'm going to call your name. I'm going to reach my hands out. But you got to reach back. You got to say yes. And I love that we end every Sunday morning the same way. Giving people the chance to say yes to a God that loves them. Giving people the chance to be saved, to be healed, to be whole. If you want it, it's here. All you got to do is say yes. So I'm going to ask you in a second to respond. And I want to lead you through what many people have referred to as the sinner's prayer. To me, it's just a line in the sand moment. September 10th, 2023, that's the day that I ran from my old life and then I ran towards Jesus. That's the day I decided to follow him and I never looked back. That's the day that I felt love, forgiveness, hope, mercy, and peace for maybe the very first time in my life. September 10th, 2023, is my spiritual birthday. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. It's my moment. That's why I'm here. God's knocking. I know he's reached out to me. I need to respond by faith. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're here, you don't know Christ. Nobody's looking around in this moment. Everybody got their own stuff to deal with. Everybody got their own issues they're working through. But you know, I need, I need Jesus Christ. I need hope. I need peace. I need forgiveness. I need love. I need to have an identity that's bigger than myself, that's outside of the issues that I face in this world. I need direction. I need Jesus Christ. If that's you all over this place, nobody's looking around in the Montgomeryville. Nobody's looking around. I need Jesus Christ. Come on all over this house in faith. This is my moment. This is my day. Would you just put your hand straight towards heaven if that's you? I need Jesus Christ. I see hands. I see hands. I see hands. Yes. Anybody else? I need Jesus Christ. I see another hand back here. Is there anybody else? It's still your moment. Maybe you didn't put your hand up. You're like, is there still room? Listen, 
I love that about God's table. There's always more room. There's always more room. I missed that first one. I don't know Christ, but I need to. He's, 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 I didn't raise my hand, but I need to. Like, I, this is my moment. This is my moment. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Is there anybody else before we pray together? I don't know Christ, but I need him. I need him to forgive me, heal me, and make me whole. And we're a family together. We pray together. We weep together. We laugh together. We walk towards Jesus together. So all over this house, would you repeat something like this after me? Whether you raise your hand or you did it in Montgomeryville, would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus Christ, today I give you my life. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you. And I'm never turning back. Jesus, use me. Work through me. Do something in me. I believe that my best is yet to come. All over this house, as we celebrate that, just a simple prayer. You see how simple it is? A simple yes to Jesus. I just want you to talk to yourself and to the Lord. I want you to just right now, just let it. Here's the areas of my life I've been struggling with. Here's the situations that I've been letting overwhelm me. Here's the, the things that have been causing me anxiety. And as you're in the presence of God, I just want you to say, with all the faith you can muster, based on the truth of God's word, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. It's going to be, I'm going to leave this place. As soon as Satan begins to remind you, hey, that was a whole bunch of, you know, mumbo jumbo in there. They just get you all hyper for nothing. No, no, no. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. There's no manipulation here. It's just truth. I'm going to be okay. He's in control. He's my adopter. He's my author. He's my advocate. He's my ally. I'm going to be okay. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place, for how you're going to move. Lord, I pray right now that over the next month that you would establish something in us that sticks with us from this day forward. Lord, that as we, as we face and we follow things and we're taken into moments we don't understand and are bigger than us, God, we're going to rest on your hope. We're going to go back to your word. We're going to be comforted by your truth. We're going to be filled with your presence. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. One more time, Journey Church, would you shout amen? Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.